We're going to study God's word. So if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So the Apostle Paul is writing to a congregation in the ancient city of Thessalonica, and he's describing here in this section, he's describing his ministry, the ministry of himself and his companions, the apostles. But notice, I hope you notice that he's drawing, when he's describing his ministry, he's drawing from an analogy, and that analogy comes from what setting? It comes from the setting of family. You see the language that he uses there in verse 11. We care for you like a father cares for his own children. Fathers do this, that's what we did among you, right? So in a way, while Paul is taking principles from earthly fatherhood and applying it to the work of ministry in the local church, we can follow that same application track right back up and say, well, what was it about earthly fatherhood that Paul was riffing on so that we can then derive benefit as dads about what should the shape of our ministry be in the home? And really, that shouldn't surprise us that these two things are very similar because in the New Testament, there are a lot of parallels between the nature of gospel nurture in the church and the nature of gospel nurture in the home. Matter of fact, when Paul is talking about qualifications for elders, he says, let's see how that potential elder is doing shepherding his own house before we ask him to shepherd God's house, the household of God. So there's parallels, family language, spiritual fatherhood and earthly fatherhood Language. So that's basically the connection that we're going to be going after here in our time this morning. But before we get back to our text and work through it, I want you to fast forward. Just use your imagination and fast forward. Let's go, let's go 25, 30, 40 years. Let's fast forward, all right? Dads, and now you're, you're, you're 30 years further out and you're looking back on the last 30 years of your life and your parenting and your fatherhood. And let's say, much to your own astonishment and contrary to what we deserve, let's say God just rains down blessing. And let's say over the next 30 years, he gave you everything you asked for. The things you most deeply, earnestly prayed for, they're yours. And you see this harvest field out in front of you. And then the question becomes, what's the harvest you're looking at? If he answered all your prayers, what kind of fruit are you looking at? in front of you, and then that leads to the other question, which is, okay, back here in 2021, if that's the fruit you're looking for 30 years down the road, how do we live now? How do we nurture that? How do we sow to that particular 
harvest. Because we can't manage the outcomes, right? Providence is above our pay grade. But the influence of a father is not inconsequential. It is, it is dramatic. It is significant. So that's kind of what we're looking at. If that's the harvest you're wanting, how do we get from here to there? What can we see in this passage concerning the nature of gospel nurture in the home? We see God calling us, brothers, to three things. Number one, model gentleness. Model gentleness. So look with me at verse 7. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead... We were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. You see the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses. He, he draws perhaps the most tender image we know of, the imagery of a mother nursing her children. And Paul says, that's how we were with you. We were that tender, that gentle. Since we didn't come in kicking the saloon doors open saying, we're the apostles, right? Here's our badge, waving stuff around, strutting around the room and making demands. He said, we could have asked for more than what we asked for, but what we wanted to do was be gentle. Instead of making demands, we came in to serve, right? So what glimpse does this give us into our calling as fathers? If you're taking notes, it's this. Dad doesn't bark demands, he bears burdens. Dad doesn't bark demands, he bears burdens. You know, Jesus in the, in the Gospels, he starts teaching. And every time he teaches on authority, he's turning their world upside down. He's saying, look, I know what your concept of power and authority is a very Roman Empire concept of power and greatness and authority. And I'm just saying, I'm not here for that. So he says, I got a towel and a bowl here. I'm going to wash everybody's feet, every single one of you. And Peter says, no, messiahs don't wash feet. He says, this one does. And if you don't let me wash your feet, you're going to hate my kingdom. Because guess who washes feet next? You do. That's the way of the kingdom. He's completely flipping upside down all their concepts of power and authority. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And then he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is saying, the way of greatness is the way of service, and I'll go first. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but came to serve. And here, Paul is saying, we could have been a burden. We could have made demands. We could have asked for more. But instead, we were gentle. Fathers, the reason that we don't want to create a culture of heavy-handedness and harshness in our home is because that's not the culture you enjoy as a child of God, is it? You don't live under God's eye and he's saying, okay, yeah, I told you three minutes ago that you're a wreck and I'm just telling you again, you're still a wreck. Let me point to this other thing, right? And he's just constantly pointing and saying, that too disappoints me greatly. That also, right? That's not, we don't live under the harsh, uh, oppressive eye of a God who every word he speaks sucks the joy out of the room. Every time he speaks, it sucks the air out of the room. That's not our God. That's not the Father whom we worship, the Father whom we meet in his self-revealing word. Like, there are a lot of kids, you think about this, in our culture who grow up in a Christian home 
and they come into adulthood with a truckload of resentment. And sometimes they come into the adulthood with a truckload of resentment because it was a heavy-handed, law-command-driven culture. There was no burden-bearing. There were demands, there were expectations, there were boundaries, right? All that, there's a sort of residue of displeasure on everything in our house. And dad, I don't know what I did this time, but it seems like every time you look at me, generally you're displeased. I don't know what it was this time, but there's a general air of displeasure about all of our interactions. What was it this time? And so they grow up and they're like, and God is a father? Why would I want that? It's not the nature of gospel nurture. Let's come at it from the other side. What a blessing it is to have a Christian dad who has something called joy. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have had this blessing of growing up in a Christian home where dad had joy. He had joy in the Lord. He had joy that he brought with him into the house. He came home from work, but there was still joy. It wasn't perfect, to be sure, but there was joy, right? My... my um. We tell stories about my dad, and so many of the stories involve us laughing with, but sometimes just straight up laughing at my dad and stuff that we remember. My dad fell through the ceiling on Christmas Eve when I was 10 years old. And uh, he was, to make it even more dramatic, he was dressed up as Santa Claus for, uh, for my young cousins. So, and the only person who was in the attic with my dad was me because there were some gifts that he forgot upstairs. So dad and I went upstairs. I was going to grab some gifts. He was going to grab some gifts. Well, then he steps in the wrong spot, and he catches himself on the joist. And downstairs, I hear my cousin go, Santa! <laughs> because you see these two legs and black boots coming out of the ceiling of our living room, right? And we just, and I'm up there. I'm the only one seeing dad's torso. Everybody else is looking at the trunk, right? And it's me looking at dad, and I just see instantly under his fake, terrible white beard, he just busts out laughing. <laughs> There's such joy. I, I look back at that and I think, that's probably why my friends always wanted to hang out at my house. My dad was just more fun than their dad. But it wasn't just superficial fun. He had, he had the joy of Christ. There was something radiant. There was a deeper narrative. There was something there. And he brought it with him. But the Apostle John, he's the last person standing and writing in the back of your New Testament. And he talks a lot about commands. He says, as a matter of fact, you, don't, you can't say you love God if you're not keeping his commands because he changes our lives. So let's keep his commands. Well, that same apostle who talks a lot about the commands of God, he says, hey, by the way, don't mistake it. His commands aren't burdensome. This is not some heavy yoke we have to drag around as we slog through life under a, the unrelenting gaze of a displeased father. That is not the way it is. His commands are not burdensome. It's a joy because he changes our lives. He regenerates us. And now from the inside, the spirit is working to make those commands a pleasure, right? We don't have the kind of father in heaven who barks commands. Instead, he bears burdens. Our father says what in, in his word? He says, cast all your cares on me, knowing that I care for you. That's the kind of father that we have. Dad doesn't bark commands, he bears burdens. Second, dad speaks words of affection. Dad speaks words of affection. Look at verse 8. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, 
but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You see what Paul is doing? He's not just thinking you're dear to me. He's telling them you're dear to me. You're dear to us. We've cared so much for you. We didn't just give you the message of the gospel, which is the one hope of the world. We threw our whole self into it. Everything was yours for the taking. Right? He would say in another place, we would most gladly spend and be spent for your sakes. If it makes you joyful in God, we're here for it. Right? You ever read the New Testament and, and you say, how can God speak to his people, sinful as we are, the way that he so often does? How can he speak to people so graciously? So, so you pull up in 1 Corinthians, right? Cor- Corinthians, that church was an absolute mess. They had false teaching going on. They had pride and all kinds of carnality in their lives. And what does God say through the Apostle Paul in the very first verse? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the saints who are in Corinth. And you want to bust out laughing and say, saints? Is that what we're calling this group? Saints. These are the holy ones? Or where, Pray tell, where are the unholy ones if these are the saints? Right? And yet he says, oh, not only are you saints, grace to you, Corinth, and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the kind of, there's a sort of ethos of the life of the church over the New Testament letters, the one anothering commands, where there's a, there's a kind of way that the people talk that's meant to reflect the character of God and the nature of the gospel, where he says, in, in, in Corinth, for example, the Apostle Paul says, anybody who talks, let it be building other people up. If you're gonna talk, may others be built up. And he said in Ephesians, let everything that you say be edifying. May it give grace to those who hear. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, outdo one another in showing honor. Right? Yes, we're going to have to correct. Yes, there are going to be expectations and boundaries and even discipline. But man, there should be a lot of joy, a lot of encouragement, lots of fist bumps, lots of hugs, lots of, I see God's grace in you, my daughter. I see it. You might not see it. I see it. It's not lost on me. Be encouraged, right? That's the kind of beautiful language that should be passed back and forth from brothers and sisters in the church and in the home. Jesus Christ is baptized and a voice comes from heaven. It's the first day of his ministry. Voice comes from heaven and that voice that you hear bellowing out of heaven is the father. And what does he say? That's my boy. This is my son. I am well pleased with him. Now, well pleased with him, he hadn't done a thing. He made a table with Joseph. He hasn't done any of the things that are going to make him famous around the world. He hasn't worked any miracles. He hasn't died on the cross to atone for sins. He's not done any of that stuff. And yet God says on day one, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pleased with him. That's my son. Everybody hear it. It's the nature of gospel nurture. Model gentleness. Second, practice godliness. Practice godliness. You know, Paul says in, in verse 9 and 10, he's basically just saying, you know the way that we lived. That wasn't a secret. Th- there was no daylight between what we did in private and what we did in, in public. We were the same person. We lived before you honestly and with integrity. You know the way that we lived. You know, our, our children can be dr- incredibly perceptive, can't they? Um, I remember when I first encountered this, our oldest son, Hunter, when he was probably, I don't know, three or four, 
years old, and he was having a hard time sleeping at night, and it's like, okay, we're, we're either both going to lose sleep or one of us is going to lose sleep. So for a period of time there, I said, I'll go in there and I'll do my prayer time in his room so that hopefully he'll be able to fall asleep while I'm just there. So I would go into his room. There's a little lamp on in the room so that I was able to read, and I would open my Bible and turn to the Psalm of the Day and put one hand face up, just kind of so my outsides match my insides. This is a worship moment, and it keeps me from being distracted. So I'm pacing back and forth, quietly praying the Psalm of the Day while he's over there in bed, supposed to be falling asleep. And I did that night after night after night, and then one particular afternoon, he, said he wanted to play a game. And apparently he wanted to play a role-playing game and he wanted us to switch our roles. And so he made it clear that I was supposed to go to bed and he put me in bed and indicated that I was supposed to stay there, <laughs> a thing which he had seen a few times, right? He indicated I was supposed to stay there and then he goes and grabs the first book that he could get his hands on, opened it up in this hand, this hand palm facing up and started pacing back and forth and speaking gibberish. And I was like, well, I wasn't praying in tongues, but you would get the impression that I had been praying in tongues. But even, even when he did that, I'm laying there on the bed with my eyes wide open, and I'm just thinking, goodness gracious, he's doing everything. All the little things. He's, he's been studying me over here. He's supposed to be sleeping, and he's been studying all of it, which then has the sobering thing, what else has he studied? Because this isn't the only thing I've been doing. What else has he studied and picked up on that's not healthy? Because he's watching. They're watching. They're studying. They, they see, right? And, and Paul is saying in verse 9 and 10, he's saying, the Paul that you knew in public is the same Paul that you encountered in private. So here's, here's the dad goal. You want a dad goal? It's this. Dad walks with the Lord and pursues integrity. What, what's Paul saying? He's saying... You saw our hard work and our labor. You saw the way we proclaimed the gospel and you saw that we lived a righteous and godly life. You, you saw it. We didn't ask you to do anything we weren't already doing. We were doing it and then we said, join us in doing this. We exemplified the very life we were commending to you. Dads, do, do we call for humility and honesty in our homes and then say, and I'll go first. So last night, I was wrong. And I'm so sorry, because I was angry last, and there was no excuse for it. That was not your fault. That was all on dad. And I need God to forgive me and cleanse me and change me. And I, I'd like for you to forgive me. Would you forgive me? Are we modeling the kinds of things or just talking about them? Let's be the first. Let's be the first to repent. Let's be the first to honor their mother. Let's not just teach them honor your mother. Let's joyfully display it, and then let's earnestly insist on it. Right? That's kind of what Paul is talking about. We were doing the stuff in front of you because it's in our hearts to do it as well. Look at the words he uses. We lived devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly. So I feel the impulse when I read those scary adjectives, I feel the impulse to qualify them to death and say, look, he wasn't sinlessly perfect. Let's just all acknowledge that. But in making that remark, I'm emphasizing the opposite thing that Paul is emphasizing. He's not talking about what he wasn't. He's talking about what he, by the grace of God, was. There was a pattern of godliness. But look, the, the life direction th that I was living in wasn't a mystery to you. It was conspicuous what I was going after. I hope it was noticeable what we were going 
after. What's featured here is a clear pursuit of godliness in every aspect of his life. Paul says, you see the words he uses? You and God were witnesses. That is incredible. God saw the same thing you saw, and you saw the same thing God saw. That's integrity. The insides and the outsides, they matched. I wonder how many of us had the blessing of growing up with a Christian father who walked the walk. And don't we aspire to this, Christian dads? Don't we aspire to, wouldn't it be such a joy to overhear our children say, or at least to know that it's true? My dad prays for us. My dad loves God's word. My dad loves our church. Not, not just the big C church, our church. And he, he throws his whole effort, his, all of his abilities and skills into making other people stronger in Jesus. It's just what, it's what he does. My dad is generous. My dad loves to tell people the good news about Jesus. My dad loves missions and he wants the whole world to see how awesome Jesus is. My dad loves my mom. Sometimes it's awkward how much my dad <laughs> loves my mom, but it's so visible, you, you can't escape it. It's, it's there, right? That's Paul, he says, you saw. You saw how we worked, right? You saw how we proclaimed the gospel. You saw how we lived. We're not asking you to do anything we're not already doing. We were doing it first. That's leadership, isn't it? Jackie Robinson, obviously a legendary baseball player, also broke the color barrier in the major leagues. And to his kids, Jackie Robinson isn't just a legendary baseball player, he was a legendary dad. And Jackie Robinson's daughter, Sharon, wrote a book about her dad. And it's called Testing the Ice. It's just a little children's book with pictures. And she tells a story about how they got a house, and the house was near a lake, a small lake. And she said, that first summer, we were swimming in that lake like there was no tomorrow. We were out in that lake all the time. And then she said, we had our first winter, and the lake started to ice and freeze over. And we waited day after day. And she said, we waited about a week, and it just looked really solid. And she said, then me and my friends walked up to Dad and said, can we go play on the ice? And eventually, he, he was super hesitant about that, but she said, eventually he caved in and he said, okay, but you wait on the bank here. And then he went and grabbed a broomstick and she said, dad just started, he would tap, tap, tap. He would take a few steps. He would creak underneath him, groan, the ice moving, and then he would tap, tap, tap. And he would take another step. And she said, he worked his way all the way across that lake. And she said, as he was doing that, she started to realize she was feeling anxious that he was doing it. And she said, I realized that because unlike us, dad didn't know how to swim. And she said, and yet he was out there tapping the ice to make sure it was safe for us. And she said, when, I, when we heard him from the other side of the lake and he bellowed out and said, it's safe, come out and play. And she said, we ran across that ice and we were running in circles around my dad as he headed towards solid ground. And she said, while we were running circles around my dad, I was thinking to myself, my dad is the bravest man alive. Why? Because he went first. The Apostle Paul says that that's what leaders do. Follow me 
as I follow Christ. I'll, I'll tap a few and then I'll take a step and you need to come with me. I'll be out front. I'll take the risk. Come with me. It's leadership. Model gentleness, practice godliness. Third, bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Verse 11. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored. Preachers love groupings of three. We encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Look, every week from the word of God, God, if you will, roams the aisles. And what's he doing? Calling you into his kingdom and glory. Adults, come in. Children, come in. Trust in my son who died in your place and rose again. Put your hope in him. Get transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light and joy and peace and forgiveness. Come on in. The apostles, they were time and time again, that's what they were saying. Come inside, it's good in here. The kingdom is sweet and it's glorious. Come inside. Taste it from the inside. I pray you will, this morning, taste it from the inside. You will repent and believe. Put your trust in Christ. And the apostle Paul, he talks about these words, right? You see, the ministry of a father is to encourage, comfort, and implore, come into the kingdom. Sons and daughters, you were made to live here. You were made for Zion. The, the longings, the broken longings of the kingdoms of this world will never satisfy you. Come into the kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. And, and Paul says, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna encourage and comfort and implore you to do that until the end of our lives. That's the shape of ministry. That's the, the nature of gospel nurture. Until God calls us home, that's what we keep saying. Renowned New Testament scholar, Don Carson, he preached his dad's funeral in 1992, and he talked about the legacy of his father, and his father was content with little. He said that his father loved pastoring his little congregation and his father loved sharing the good news with the lost. And here's what he wrote. When dad died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no notice in the papers, no announcements on the television, no mention in parliament, no notice in the nation. In his hospital room, there was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because dad had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dad wanted admittance to the only throne room that matters, not because he was a good man or a great man, but because he was a forgiven man. Paul says, as fathers with their own children, what we did was we told you about the kingdom and the glory, and we said, come in. You gotta, you gotta taste this. And he said that, it's interesting, you know, even thinking about that this week, Here's the Apostle Paul imploring them to come into the kingdom and he did this while he was alive and now he sees the kingdom and the glory. My grandpa talked about the kingdom and the glory and now he sees it. My dad talked to us about the kingdom and the glory and now he sees it. And 
if providence follows the natural order of things, I'll be next. Which means what do I get to do today? I get to encourage and comfort and implore about the kingdom and the glory. We get to say to our children, trust Jesus, look to Christ, follow Christ, embrace his mission. The king is calling, kids, don't make him wait. Run to him, you were made for him. Your children of Zion live in the light of the kingdom that's coming. Walk worthy of the Lord is what Paul said. We're gonna implore you all of our days. Walk worthy of the Lord. That's a life, that's the only life worth living. Here's a goal, dads, that our life message would be look to Jesus, love the church, and live for God's glory. Look to Jesus, love the church, and live for God's glory. Look, and, and that's where we all get involved because it takes a whole church to do that. It takes a whole church to commend the gospel to the coming generation. That's why, that's why we make such a big deal about ministries and preschool and Brook Hills kids and student ministries and college ministry and all the rest because we want to create this big team environment where we say, we'll help. We will implore, we will encourage, we will give them gospel comfort. We'll join you, mom and dad. We want to say the same thing you're saying. Come into the kingdom, kids. It's good inside. Come into the kingdom. Love Jesus and grow in Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. Look, no passage in the Bible guarantees we're going to see a, a certain set of outcomes. No passage in the Bible guarantees all of our children are going to be followers, dedicated followers of Jesus. But... There are many passages in the Bible that give us every reason to hope that that might be the case. That give us every reason to say, hey, don't grow weary. Don't give up yet. Not so fast. God has options. Never lose heart. I met a pastor named Steve Shank many years ago. And at a conference, uh, Steve was sharing a story about his uncle Fred. And his uncle Fred uh, got into a lot of trouble in his life, even deep into his adulthood. And he said it was like for many years, um, it was like un Uncle Fred was bent on his own destruction. And, um, and he said, my grandpa was so, was so earnest in his prayers for his son, my Uncle Fred. And he said one time, Uncle Fred would frequently just get, just, You'd just lose him. You didn't know where he went. He'd just go off the radar for a long period of time. Then you'd come back and you'd ask for more money, and then he'd go back out and just be lost and off the radar for a period of time. He said, this time he went off the radar and nobody knew. It was way longer than it ever was before, and everybody thought, is Uncle Fred still alive? What happened? Where is he right now? And during that period of time, Steve Shank said, Uncle Fred's dad, my grandpa, became gravely ill. And he said, I went to my grandpa's bedside, and I knelt down beside him, and I said, Grandpa, how can I pray for you? And he said, my grandpa quoted the Apostle John, who said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Even at the very end of his life, with no set, no sight of where his son Fred was, in life, he still didn't give up hope. He said there was no cynicism in him. He just says, God has options and I'm praying for my son. He never caved into unbelief. Years later, Steve Shank got a letter. Apparently his uncle Fred went to a canyon in Arizona with an intention to jump off a cliff and end, 
his life, and Shank described it this way. Guilt, shame, a trail of shattered lives pressed upon him so hard he began to sob uncontrollably. He resolved his life wasn't worth living. As he sat there, the God of mercy, of hope, Jesus the Savior began to work. Fred's letter said, I began to reflect back over things that my father taught me early on, but that I rejected. Instead of jumping, he began to cry out, Jesus, if you're real, please forgive me. Please forgive me. And he began to confess everything he ever did. He remembered what his father told him over and over about being reconciled to a God who was merciful and who forgives sins. Then he said, he began to sing. And Steve Shank would say, years later, he would say, you wouldn't believe how different my Uncle Fred has been all these years now, utterly changed. So fast forward 30 years. And if God answers your prayers, what kind of harvest will you see in your family? What's the thing that now here you want to pray will happen in 30 years, and I would submit to you that the Apostle John's prayer is hard to improve on. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So then the question is, how do we nurture in that direction? We can't make that happen, but how do we create an environment that nurtures things in that direction, brothers? By the grace of God, let's model gentleness, let's practice godliness, and let's bring them and never tire of bringing them to Jesus.